Hello and welcome back to Reason for Hope. What a great day it is today. We're all here together. We're sharing the faith. Does it get any better than that? I don't think so. And it's great to have you with us today. Listen, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, because it really helps us get the word out and it increases our ratings as well. Also, we have lots of music that we play at all our podcasts. And if you like it, you can engage and listen to it through Spotify and our other music platforms. Um, We also have a lot of stuff on social media. We have music, we have videos, and we also have daily reflections. Have you ever thought what your life would be like without a particular person in your life? Like if you never were at that particular place in time and you never had met that person, maybe that person is your best friend or your spouse. Another example might be is like, what about if we, you know, we had several choices of colleges that we wanted to go to and, you know, we were encouraged to go to one college and we really didn't want to go to that college, but we ended up going to that college and and maybe we met our spouse or maybe we, we learned about a subject that propelled us into a career that we never thought we would have went into, right? And and that choice changed the trajectory of our lives. We really may not think about this, but our choices, every one of them, moves us to the next place, the next stage in our lives. I mean, what I'm trying to say is that every action matters. So what about if we thought this way about birth control? I believe this is why the church teaches that we need to be open to life because we never know what God intends. Our choices determines the trajectory of our lives, but it also determines the potential of other lives. So how do we live within the teachings of our church? Well, we're gonna talk about this today. We're gonna be talking to you about NFP, Natural Family Planning, and our guest is Danielle Bean. So welcome to Reason for Hope, and here we go. So here we are back with Dr. David Heideck, and uh, we're going to share a couple of things about theology and the teachings of the church. And this is an interesting topic, and a topic that is, I believe, very misunderstood. So we're going to spend a little bit more time on this today, uh, maybe go a little bit deeper than normal. Um, And it's about NFP, which is natural family planning. So Dave, uh, what is natural family planning? Natural family planning refers to uh, a way of charting fertility that enables you to know uh, what times of the woman's cycle she is fertile and what times she isn't. And there are various kinds of methods here under the umbrella of natural family planning. Uh, One would be the symptothermal method. Another one is the Creighton method. These all approach natural family planning in a little bit of a different way mm-hmm. um, because they're focusing on either a collection of bodily signs mm-hmm. or really emphasizing one particular bodily sign to indicate when a woman would be in her fertile phase or not. So that's generally what natural family planning is. It's it's a way of tracking fertility. Some people would say, well, it's a way of of avoiding conceiving a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's 
one of the things that you can use natural family planning for. Believe it or not, you can also use natural family planning to conceive, to, conceive, right? to, try, right. sure. to try to get pregnant. Right. So I think a, a more general sense of natural family planning is uh, it's a program of fertility awareness. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the second question. So, you know, why natural family planning? The first thing I think it's important to keep in mind is the church's teaching on contraception, right? So the church teaches that contraception is intrinsically evil. Now, for for people who don't necessarily know what that word means, that means it's by its very nature evil. It's not evil because of the circumstances in which it's being used. It's, it's evil in itself. Mm-hmm. And the church teaches that an intrinsic evil can never be a legitimate moral choice. So you can never choose to do something that's intrinsically evil. And this is important because basically what it means is that contraception is off the table. Mm-hmm. I know that many people have heard a different opinion about that. You know, many people have heard, oh, well, it's a matter of personal conscience. No, personal conscience doesn't apply to intrinsic evils. It doesn't. I want to just give a quote from Humanae Vitae from uh, St. Paul VI encyclical against contraception. He says this, he said, neither is it valid to argue as a justification for sexual intercourse, which is deliberately contraceptive, that a lesser evil is to be preferred to a greater one or that such intercourse would merge with procreative acts of the past and future to form a single entity and so be qualified by exactly the same moral goodness as these. It is a serious error to think that a whole married life of otherwise normal relations can justify sexual intercourse, which is deliberately contraceptive and so intrinsically wrong. So, I mean, Paul VI is very clear. Mm-hmm. So I think the first why NFP is because on the one hand, contraception is an intrinsic evil because it violates the very nature of the sexual act as God created it, mm-hmm. which is both unitive and procreative. But then you've got the reality that in life, there are real circumstances in which a family, for a variety of reasons, um, wish to space their children And so then the question becomes, how do they do that Mm -hmm. um, in a way that's consonant with God's plan for life and love and the church's teaching against contraception? Now, of course, uh, one of the things that's important to keep in mind is that the church teaches that first and foremost, we should have an attitude of openness to life. And that requires a certain orientation of generosity. So even when we're trying to figure out like, okay, is this a circumstance in which we should be having another child right now? Uh, you've got to do that with a sense of generosity, not a sense of stinginess, because God is generous and he, his love is generous, mm-hmm. right? So, so our love should be generous too. Uh, such decisions, I think, need to be guided by a real authentic hierarchy of values. We kind of need to be really looking objectively at, do we have a really pressing reason to not have a child right now. Um, And what might that reason be? And uh, the church is very clear, at least generally speaking, what are such kinds of reasons. And the church calls them just reasons or serious reasons. And so this is um, 
what the church says. For just reasons, spouses may wish to space the births of their children. It is their duty to make certain that their desire is not motivated by selfishness, but is in conformity with the generosity appropriate to responsible parenthood. Interesting, everybody always talks about responsible parenthood in the sense of not having too many. And the church says the generosity appropriate to responsible parenthood. Say responsible parenthood could mean having a very big family. And I think uh, this is one of the things that Janet Smith uh, writes about when she did her um, translation of Humanae Vitae from the Latin as opposed to the Italian. She doesn't call it responsible parenthood. She thinks responsible parenthood is a bad translation and that it gives the wrong impression because people talk about responsibility today as if, you know, that means not having kids. You should be responsible and not have too many. She actually translates the word for responsible as conscious, meaning we're able to choose our response, that we're, that we're becoming parents consciously. In other words, we understand that entering into the marital embrace will possibly bring about a child. And in a sense, when we're entering into the marital act, we're saying, I may be a father, I may be a mother. Mm-hmm. That's responsible parenthood or a conscious parenthood, which I think is a really important distinction. So moreover, they should conform their behavior to the objective criteria of morality. So in other words, when you're going to space, you need to do it in a way that's moral, in a way that is in line with what God has revealed about what's his plan for life and love. So those are also to be considered responsible who for serious reasons and with due respect for moral precepts decide not to have another child for either a definite or an indefinite amount of time. So it may be that there may be a serious reason that that indicates that we really just can't have another child. So the first one talks about for just reasons spouses could space children. The second one talks about for for serious reasons, spouses may decide that they, for a definite or indefinite amount of time, uh, will not have another child. Now, the church doesn't doesn't list what these just reasons are, and the church doesn't list what these serious reasons are. That's for a, a couple's discernment. And they should do that in prayer. They should do that probably consulting a spiritual director to help them. Mm-hmm. It helps them to, dis- to discern if they have just or serious reasons. But I can give like um, an example of each maybe to help. So, you know, perhaps an example of a just reason would be you already have a lot of young kids pretty close together and, you know, you're just really tapped out emotionally. And so you think you should create a little bit more of a space before you have the next one. That might be a just reason, you know, feeling emotionally overwhelmed, uh, feeling physically run down. Now, a serious reason could be maybe the woman has a medical condition that getting pregnant could be really dangerous, right? So this would be a serious reason to say no to having another child uh, for either a definite or indefinite period of time. Presumably, you would say no until the the serious reason subsides, but it could be that that, that serious reason is perpetual. So those are some examples of why NFP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, look, let me let me be the devil's advocate. Um, 
if contraception is wrong, right, and uh, we follow NFP, but then we're deliberately not trying to have a child by following NFP, uh, I don't get what's the difference, right? right. You're, no. you're deliberately contracepting so you don't have a kid. Right. So actually, you're not contracepting. So that's the first thing that's different. Okay. All right. So um, contracepting means that you're doing something directly and intentionally to prevent the act from attaining its natural end. There's something that you're doing to stop that act from resulting in a child. That's not, it's just not resulting in a child naturally. So natural family planning, you don't have the conception of a child, but it happens naturally. You're not doing something to make it happen. You're not doing something to block the sperm from going to the egg if the egg is there or to stop the egg from being released. Conception just isn't happening in a natural way. The key is that you're not doing something to render that particular act infertile. In fact, the way you're avoiding pregnancy is by abstaining from sexual relations during the fertile phase of the woman's cycle. So it's not contracepting anything. It actually involves abstinence, which requires self-mastery and self-control. One way I heard it put, and I think it's a really good way of putting it, is that whenever you speak, you shouldn't lie. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't speak a contradiction. But there are sometimes it's prudent not to speak. So imagine now in the marital act, there's this language of the body, as John Paul II talks about in the theology of the body. And, and the marital act is supposed to communicate the language of total gift. I'm giving my total self to you. That's what sex communicates. I am yours. I give myself to you. I'm totally yours. And that is happening in and through the body. But it also speaks the truth that I may be a father, I may be a mother. So contraception actually contradicts the language of the body as God created it because it speaks against the child that could be created and it speaks against the actual union between the two because technically contraception blocks the total giving of yourself. Right. So let me ask you another question. So, so what are the benefits and challenges of NFP? Okay, so the title is for better or for worse. Can you elaborate? Sure. Well, we don't have time to cover all the benefits and challenges of NFP, but what I'd like to do is focus on one thing that provides both benefits and challenges in the practice of natural family planning. And that is that natural family planning helps us to grow in Christian perfection in holiness, and in charity. And in fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church defines holiness as the perfection of charity. And so natural family planning helps us to become more perfectly Christian and to love more perfectly. And um, that requires self-denial. You can't grow in holiness without self-mastery and self-denial. Jesus himself says that anyone who wants to be his disciple must deny his very self, pick up his cross, and follow him. St. Paul says, put to death our lower nature, right? And, and that's something that people don't realize. Natural family planning is absolutely important for 
I think, our growth in holiness as a married couple. It's one of the ways that our love becomes purified and refined. Listen to this quote from Humanae Vitae. The right and lawful ordering of birth demands, first of all, that spouses fully recognize and value the true blessings of family life and that they acquire complete mastery over themselves and their emotions. For if with the aid of reason and of free will, they are to control their natural desires, there can be no doubt at all of the need for self-denial. Only then will the expression of love essential to married life conform to right order. This is especially clear in the practice of periodic continence. That is, by the way, for a particular period of time, not engaging in sexual relations. Self-discipline of this kind is a shining witness to the chastity of husband and wife, and far from being a hindrance to their love of one another, transforms it by giving it a more truly human character. It fosters in husband and wife thoughtfulness and loving consideration for one another. It helps them to repel inordinate self-love, which is the opposite of charity. So, Paul VI is saying there that the self-denial, because, I mean, let's face it, you long for your spouse. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of emotional stuff going on. You're, you're seeking to be affirmed that you're loved and desired, right? You want to express your love and affection and desire in the sexual embrace. And then there's the physical desires. And to be able to control those, to be able to to be the master of them and not have them master me. This is one of the difficulties, I think, with contraception is it doesn't require self-mastery at all. You never have to say no. And in fact, contraception was developed not to prevent the conception of a child. There was already a foolproof way to do that. It was created to indulge the sexual appetite. So I think that that's a really important thing. And if you're going to just act on every urge that you have, then how is that truly human? I need to recognize that, no, if I'm going to authentically love you, even in the sexual embrace, in the marital embrace, I'm going to do that more perfectly if I say no at other times. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the ability to say no to what you want to do. Control. Mm -hmm. The more free you become, the more that's a gift, the more deliberate it is. And thus, the more perfectly you're loving one another. And I think that's what Paul VI is talking about there. So growth and holiness, it's hard work. The result will be a greater joy because you're becoming a better lover. And love is what brings joy, but it's not easy. The way to the joy of Easter is the cross of Calvary. And growth and holiness is hard work because it requires us, with the help of grace, of course, to reorder what's disordered in us due to the effects of original sin. It calls us to do combat with lust. It calls us to a more perfect love, which necessarily involves a greater self-emptying. So you can see how there's a benefit and a challenge here. It's uh, it's it's good stuff, and I think you really clarified its purpose, you know, and God's plan for it. You know, I think the bottom line is that 
all things that God has created are created for a purpose and a reason, to draw us closer to him and to sanctify our lives and our marriage uh, and to grow in holiness, really. So thanks, Dave. It's uh, always great chatting with you. It's good to be here again. So our featured guest today is Danielle Bean. She is a writer and speaker. She helps mothers know their dignity and worth so they can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. She's married to her husband, Dan, for 26 years, and together they have eight children. She is the brand manager at CatholicMom.com and a TV talk show host for Catholic TV. So, Danielle, hi. How are you doing? Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, I have a lot of questions for you. Uh, You are a mother, right? And uh, you have eight children, right? Yeah, exactly. What a big growing family. And you've been married to your husband, Dan, for over 26 years? Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Mamma mia, as they say in my uh, old country. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's great. That's what a testament. That's beautiful. I have a lot of things I want to ask you. Um, uh, sure. Before we do, before we get into uh, our discussion, let me just um, let's go back a little bit. And you know, what is your background? You know, were you are you a cradle Catholic? Uh, were you raised Catholic? What was your uh, early years like? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a cradle Catholic. I was blessed to be raised in a beautiful, large Catholic family. I'm the fourth of nine children, and um, my parents did an amazing job instilling the faith in each of us, and we're um, practicing it as adults, and it's just truly, I recognize now the great sacrifice that my parents made through the years to give us that gift of faith, one of the greatest blessings of my life, having been born into the family that I was. Wow. And were you um, were you always engaged in your faith? Was there a period in your life where you, when you went to college or you had uh, you were exposed to the culture, was there any time where maybe your, your faith uh, changed a little bit? Yeah, I was always engaged in various levels, um, for sure. I had times when I was farther away and perhaps not always making the best decisions, but I never had a time where I really, truly left the faith in any significant way. Um, uh, But for sure, I've grown over the years inside of my faith life, matured in my faith life from, you know, beyond my my experience of of God in you know in middle school and high school and into college, um, but nothing like being married and having a family to really bring out your your need for God and yeah. my personal need to grow inside of my faith life. So I've learned to depend more and more on God, recognize my dependence on God, especially through my experience of motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um. Us cradle Catholics, I mean, you were brought up, it looks like you were brought up in a family that was very loving and, and shared their faith with you. Um, yeah. But was there a right. time, a transformative moment when, you know, God actually touched you? Was there a point in your life when you actually fell in love with Christ or was it just something that was always innate in you? I think, um, you know, there, there was a, there is a moment that really stands out, especially to me as a, a call to grow closer to God through, um, deepening in, you know, the call to trust truly. And, and that took place, um, 
many years ago when I was married and we had our third child and he was, you know, an infant and he wasn't, he wasn't doing well physically. He had many different health complications. We didn't know what was wrong with him. Ultimately, he wound up being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which is an incurable, life-threatening disease and it's genetic. So that really threw us for a loop. And what really stood out to me inside of that moment was just how betrayed by God I felt. And what that really, that experience laid bare for me was the truth that I was kind of practicing what I would call now a sort of fake faith. I didn't recognize it, but I was happy to go along with the faith and and play by God's rules as long as he was playing by my rules, right? Like nothing nothing bad can ever happen, right? Mm. And so I, I felt I felt like he'd kind of broken our unspoken deal. And that was very eye-opening for me. Of course, a very painful experience, a difficult and challenging time for, for me and my family. But at the same time, I look back on it and I can see that that was that moment of suffering, that moment of letting go of control was mm. a call to grow in a more real relationship with Jesus and trust in him more, learn to trust in him more, recognize that I was never really in charge in the first place. Yeah. It's funny how God uh, uses times uh, of tragedy or hardship or uh, just difficulty to awaken us to a deeper relationship, right? Right. Absolutely. It's really a beautiful thing. You never would choose it. And in the moment you never want it. That's right. But it is... It is good to look back and reflect on those moments for sure. So let's let's talk about where you are now. So you're married, mm-hmm. you, you, like we shared. Right. You have eight children, uh, husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also the uh, brand manager, right, at CatholicMom.com, right? Yes. And yes. you have yes. a you're a host on Catholic TV. We love we love those guys up there in Boston. <laughs> Yeah, it's great fun to do that. It, it's uh, so. How do you manage all this? That seems like a lot <laughs> of stuff. Yes, it is a lot of stuff. Um, I think that uh, I've I've always been the kind of personality that likes to be doing a lot of different things, and I really enjoy communicating and connecting with people in various ways and various forms of media. I've always been a writer, so that's kind of in me and um, a way that I like to connect and communicate with people. So I've I've always done that, but um, also I think that God calls us to things sometimes that feel beyond what we can manage. And it's always been my experience that if I'm prayerfully discerning the things that I'll take on outside of family life. So my husband and I have always been very dedicated to the fact that our family, our marriage and our family come first and all of these other things and ways that we manage to pay the bills and uh, do various forms of ministry are kind of separate from that. And they need to find their place and be in, in priority after making sure that we're dedicated first and foremost to our family life. So um, it's always been a, a project of prayerfully discerning stage by stage, step by step with each new thing that we might take on. And we haven't always gotten it right. We haven't always balanced it perfectly. But I think, you know, kind of having that open spirit inside of our marriage and understanding that, you know, things, uh, many different kinds of work opportunities and even very good things that you could do, ministry opportunities, aren't always going to be the best fit and being open to saying no to things sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of said it, and 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 often, I mean, I know it's hard for women that you know most women work right. They take care of their kids. They they shopping. Mm-hmm. They take care of the house. They do homework. Uh, then they have to take care of their hum- husbands. You know, men are helpless, right? I mean, <laughs> it's uh, you know. You it, said it, not me. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I admit it. I, you know, I can't even find my socks. So so it's I, I'm always calling my wife to find out where the mayonnaise is in the refrigerator. So it's like yep. I. I you you know, women are really, mothers are the bedrock of the family. And you said it. Mm-hmm. You said, you know, it's a balance of of things and you discern. And I think that's the key thing that most mothers sometimes that get overwhelmed is that they leave out the component of God, that God has to be the balance, right? Yeah. God is the one that you connect with. Yeah. So I'm glad you pointed that out. That was a, a key point. Um, so you're, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned you're a writer. So you have this book that just came out. It's about uh, Catholic parents and how to grow through young adult and adult years with your kids, uh, giving thanks mm-hmm. and letting go. Um, this is interesting. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So this book is um, it, it's it's more personal than other books that I've recently written. I've done some scripture studies and um, books that are aimed at encouraging women inside of their identity as daughters of God. But this one I share very personally about my my experiences as a mom of a growing up family. In the book, I share that my my nest is emptying. It's in the process, and um, it, there have been some lessons with regard to parenting young adult children, parenting teenagers, and the kinds of transition that I've been going through personally as a mother during these stages of my family life that are very different, that look very different from early on. So I have different kinds of things to say, a different perspective to share as um, a wife of more years and a mom of older kids. And so that really was the impetus for writing this particular book. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, we grow. We're constantly <laughs> we're constantly growing, right? Yeah, so exactly. Our topic today is about NFP for better or for worse, about the benefits mm-hmm. and challenges for natural family planning for couples. And I know that's sort of an area of expertise for you. So maybe uh, you mm-hmm. can share us a little bit about that and what that means. Sure. I mean, it's an area of expertise for me in that I I try to share in very real ways what the experience is of of practicing NFP. I'm certainly, you know, not an NFP practitioner or, you know, a a medical professional in any kind of way. But I think it's important that we have these kinds of open conversations about it because um, it's a little bit different now. Things are a little bit more open now. But when I first was married, there was plenty of information about NFP and I was excited to learn it all. But I I wound up feeling like there was too much of a, maybe a happy face that was kind of slapped on top of it, you know, for good reasons. People wanted to be promoting natural family planning among Catholic couples as a really good thing that could really benefit your marriage and, um, you know, a wonderful resource that we have inside of the church and in line with Catholic teaching and all of that. And it was, you know, it was good in all of those ways, but it also is uniquely challenging because it, like many good things, many worthwhile things in this life, requires a certain level of personal sacrifice. And I wasn't, I think, properly prepared for that as part of things. And it, it was tough sometimes. Sometimes it was really tough to feel like, what is wrong with me that I didn't feel like other people 
were struggling in the same ways that we were struggling with abstinence, struggling with some of the, you know, just even just learning the, the practical aspects of it. Um, I, I really struggled with some of that. It was a real challenge for us for many years. And um, I can now look back and see what a blessing it has been inside of our life. And I can see what a blessing it's been that maybe we weren't so great at it sometimes, you know, and that's not a fault of the method. That's completely, you know, user error, mm-hmm. you know, failure on the user's part. Um, but re- I can now recognize that that is all part of how God was working out his plan for our family, that mm-hmm. God's will is communicated to us sometimes inside of those kinds of details, challenging though they may feel in the moment. So you mentioned it's uh, beneficial for the marriage. Tell me, how is it beneficial? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, you're, you're respecting what God's plan is for your bodies. You're respecting what God's plan is for sexual intimacy inside of marriage. And so you're starting from a healthy place right there, right? All of these other things that are promising you liberation and, and freedom, the things that the world will tell you about artificial means of birth control or, um, you know, even sterilization, that it's a, a freeing, liberating thing. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. And we know these things. These things are written on our hearts. We know when we're misusing our bodies, when we're, we're using our bodies in a way that's outside of God's plan for us. And so when we introduce these elements inside of our marriage, our marriages do suffer. Our relationships do suffer. Our own relationships with God can suffer. It becomes an obstacle um, to the openness that God wants us to have inside of our marriage. And But more importantly, inside of our relationship with Him. You know, I think that one of the the greatest blessings for me has been that struggle to trust God with my fertility, because that's something that has such a powerful effect on the life of every woman, well, every man too, but in a particular way, women, right? Because we're the ones who can become pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so trusting God with our fertility really is a a daunting task sometimes, and especially in a culture that doesn't understand that, that tells us that we can and should have control over things like that. The concept of turning it over to God, and and that doesn't mean, you know, having as many babies as you can possibly manage to have in a certain span of time. What it it means is, you know, trusting that that God is going to provide for your family, being open and generous in um, the ways that you are planning your family, and, and not the teachings of the church with regard to how you're going to experience your own sexual intimacy inside of your marriage. Well, let's let me ask you a question then. So, how is this part of the teachings of God, you know, his church? And and, you know, quite frankly, why is contraception wrong? Right. Well, okay. So now you're getting into maybe some theology that I'm not going to articulate very well, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Um, so the purpose of sex that our, our church teaches us, and there are two purposes. There is the purpose of procreation, which one we can readily see, right? And the other is the connection with your spouse. And that's the one that the world readily sees, right? And that's the only one that the world sees. Um, and so it is wrong to use your sexuality to experience sexual intimacy in a way that blocks or stands as an obstacle to either one of those ends of sexuality. So um, if you're, you're blocking the connection with your spouse, say through in vitro fertilization, right, kind of taking that physical element outside of procreation, that is wrong. Um, also, it is wrong to block the procreative aspect of sex as we do with artificial means of birth control. And that doesn't mean that every act of um, intimacy inside of a marriage needs to result in a pregnancy. And it doesn't even mean you need to be fertile in, you know, physically fertile 
fertile or able to have a baby at that point in order to have sex inside of marriage, but not taking action, physical action to prevent that, to bar that from happening is what is key there. And so inside of that, you are communicating an openness if you are rejecting those artificial means of birth control to what God's plan is, what God's will is for you in your marriage and your family. Hey, you did pretty good for not being a theologian. <laughs> you know, you're a mother, you're a pragmatist. You know, it's uh, we, we need to right. be practical. And, 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 and I think women want to hear the guts, the truth, the reality of what things are. And, and did a, you did a really great job. So, um, oh, thank you. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Uh, you've been a delight. Uh, you've been very informative. And I, I wish you all the best. Thanks so much for having me, Mario. It's been a joy. All right, peace. I told you this was going to be a lot of fun today and really informative. And I want to thank you just for hanging with us and and enjoying this podcast with all of us. We want you to stay in tune with us throughout the week on social media, where we can keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and our daily reflections. This podcast is only made possible by donors and supporters of Array of Hope. And we do want you to become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Our guest next time is going to be Carrie Gress. And our theme is going to be Behold Your Mother. This is going to be a good one. I want to thank my co-producer, David Heideck, and our engineer, Jack Garno, for putting all this together. Thanks, guys. Also, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. And remember, there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.